on Bobcast today. What's going on, Chris? Brian, awesome to be here, man. Looking forward to this. I know you've been talking it up a lot on LinkedIn, so looking forward to uh, sharing some stuff and getting into a good conversation. Yeah, man. So we I did your intro before in the previous minutes. So, I mean, I think most people tuning in probably do know who you are, but do you want to tell us what you do right now? What's your job? What do you do? You can describe it any way that you'd like, and then we're just going to backtrack and see where we end up. Yeah, right now I am the CEO of a company called Refine Labs. We're a B2B demand RevOps and revenue R&D firm that helps B2B companies, primarily software companies, scale and grow more efficiently. I also am the host of a podcast and a content creator on LinkedIn, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. And I've been able to use those platforms to build my business over the past four years. And I'm also currently building a software company in stealth mode that we expect to announce before the end of the year. Is that a marketing related company that's tied to Refine Labs or? So it'll be a, it'll be a separate business. Uh, we've been incubating it inside of Refine Labs off a lot of the intellectual property and processes that we've developed here. And then we'll be launching that as a separate brand and company down the road. And that's centered around B2B revenue generation. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to toe this line between, you know, marketing and what you do and like the general populace. But I think if I were to describe it, I would say you make companies money, right? I mean, in a general way, that's a general way to describe it. But I mean, why else are you going to do marketing, right? Like, and what you've done just to describe it before you do. You've kind of looked at this model, I think, differently than the kind of traditional marketers, I guess you would say. And I think like I'm doing maybe a baby version of that with podcasting. And what I was seeing was just old guard mentality, right? And just like things that just have people, they did things the same way. And you probably saw this in marketing too. And then they wouldn't adapt to anything new that was happening, right? And I'm not saying that I'm a TikTok star, TikToker, I'm not. But people marking off these other ways of doing things in podcasting, that's what I saw when I'm, as I'm still coming into it. So just to describe what you do as kind of a layman's point of view, it's really kind of a new way for companies who are selling to other companies, not to the general population. It's a new way for them to kind of look at marketing. Would you say that's a super general way of describing it is there can you fill in some gaps super general way and the core insight is looking at the difference of how people want to buy things so over the past 10 years the internet has evolved into maturity social media has developed a lot b2b buyers specifically buyers that buy things for their company typically like large enterprise purchases are doing a lot of that stuff on their own they're leveraging their peers they're going to conferences and listening to people speak they're getting a lot of information through marketing channels now, which typically happened through a one-to-one sales conversation five or 10 years ago. And this dynamic has shifted, which created tons of upside in how you actually do marketing to sell business to business. And I identified that in about 2016, 17, that the market was shifting and executives in companies and marketing teams and sales teams weren't recognizing this shift 
So if you can find that insight for yourself and for your own business, recognize it early, have conviction about where the future is going, and then play to that, you can get a lot of really strong gains. Yeah, it's been incredible, man. I really appreciate the context. People can do with that what they wish. They can just Google Refine Labs or they can look you up if they really want to try to understand this. If they're not in the corporate and digital marketing space, you have a ton of resources and a ton of videos as well and podcasts, which we'll get to. So you've mentioned Gary V before, not in your LinkedIn content. You're not making this lifestyle content that your Dan Coe's and your Justin Welsh's are making. But, um, and I want to touch on that too, but what was the start of like the entrepreneurship for you? Did you have businesses in college, high school? Did you go work for a company right out of college or did you start your own business? Like, how did this kind of come about? And you can, I don't know where Gary V fits into that, but he fits <laughs> into my story too. So yeah, I took a management consulting role out of college. So I would go around to different companies inside of this large holdings company for six to 12 month projects and work on business. How do we improve gross margins? How do we improve supply chain? How do we develop new products? Part of that actually led me to seeing all these companies that are manufacturing items and they have moved manufacturing offshore to other places where they're able to develop or manufacture them for much cheaper. I saw that insight in 2012 and then started to use that to start my first business, which was bringing electronics and goods in from China and Taiwan, branding them, creating a store on Shopify, selling them on Amazon. So that was my first business at about 22 years old. It was never a huge business. It was a huge learning opportunity, though. And there was a couple of times where it sort of like flickered and shined. I remember on Amazon Prime Day 2013, I made like $12,000 in a day. And I was like, holy cow. Whoa. And so I got like these little tastes of entrepreneurship. Uh, I got the taste of managing cash flow. I actually made a big mistake in that business in 2014 that not managing cash flow appropriately couldn't make the next inventory buy and ended up that business just ended up dissolving. And then I started to, I did almost the, a similar thing with beach towels and blankets from Turkish cotton coming out of Turkey in 2015 to 17. And that was a much more direct to consumer Instagram play. I learned about posting content on Instagram every day, engaging in comments, watching that when I post on Instagram, I get five sales on Shopify. Shopify says they're coming from organic search, but it's very clear they're coming from the Instagram posts running Instagram and Facebook ads from 2012 to 2017 and seeing it watch it work in B2C. And then I got into my first venture funded company that was B2B company that was interested in saying like, hey, we're trying to grow here. And I started bringing all the tactics that I used in building those businesses into a B2B company. How are we going to be able to sell direct to the consumer? How are we going to leverage Facebook ads to target emergency medicine physicians and emergency nurses and people like that to buy our medical devices? and had a lot of success in that area. And then the it's ironic and funny because I posted it yesterday on LinkedIn. Yesterday was the four-year anniversary of the day that I was asked to resign from the company that I worked for in 2019. They asked me to resign. They technically asked me to resign. I got fired. And it was really tough for me at that time. I had $3,000 in the bank. I had a bunch of student loans. I had a lot of bills to pay. I was scared. And it was a really tough time for me. And that ended up turning into the the best thing that ever happened to me in my life so far. I got fired. I went on a vacation for a week. I came back and said, Hey, I don't want to do the corporate thing anymore. I'm going to give this a shot. I lowered my expenses basically down to zero. I gave myself a six month runway, even though I only had three months of cash. I picked up some consulting contracts. 
And then over the next three months, I was making more money than I was making in any job that I was making three months later. And six months later, I was making $50,000 a month and starting to hire people. And then it just sort of like kept going for that. And the reason for the business growth and the trajectory was that I used all the things that I used to build other companies in the past and then used them here, but changed that I wasn't posting on Instagram and Facebook or running those ads. I was posting on LinkedIn. I was doing live consulting calls with people. And so I used the content on LinkedIn to create awareness about my business to then funnel people back to start to work with you because they appreciated my unique perspective on how things were changing and working. And that was how the business got started. It ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me. And now it was four years ago yesterday that it happened. Hey, congrats, man. That's so cool. And it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool to think that we don't sometimes we don't understand why things are happening. You know what I mean? Like, there's a saying, I think that you don't realize why it's happening now, but someday you will that uh, really rings true to me because it felt like the worst thing ever at the time. And as I reflect in hindsight, I became the best thing ever. And I think a lot of people can resonate with some of those things. Sometimes you go through tough times and it feels really tough at that time. And then when you look back over time, you realize, oh, if that didn't happen, then these amazing things wouldn't have happened. I wouldn't have been here. And if you can take that perspective of knowing that the things that are happening are bringing you somewhere, whether they're quote unquote good or bad, but looking at them and just saying like, this is happening for me. Um, it's been a really interesting mindset shift for me to go through and realize that even the quote unquote bad things are bringing us to good places. Yeah, man, I love that. When you see these people who are going the personal brand route, do you look at that and you're like, I could do that? Because you could like, you could be a guy who talks to the general public about these things, like the what you just said for a few minutes there. Like, like, do you have any aspirations to do that? Like you're, you changed your YouTube channel to Chris Walker. Mm -hmm. So something's changing. But I know that you can, you're helping a ton of people in your industry, but I know you could help a lot of other people too. And I'm not saying you need to. But I would assume that that thought may, would pop in your head of like, yeah, I mean, I could also do the thing where I have this much bigger personal brand that reaches people. Yeah, it's an interesting sort of way of thinking. I haven't really thought about this. So I'm trying to like unwind my thoughts live is that to me, first, you got to go out and do it. And then you can go out and talk about it. And so at the moment, I'm in the do it phase. And so I kind of like think about it that way. Perhaps in the future, we exit my company, the software company grows, something like that, then maybe I'll go out and try and help a lot of other entrepreneurs do that. I help a lot of entrepreneurs right now, as you mentioned. And so it's been like something that I have thought about. But to me right now, I'm focused on doing it for myself. I'm focused on building my company, creating a great culture, innovating from a professional services firm to then spin out a software company where I don't need to go out and raise venture capital to build a software company, which is very uh, unique. So that's where I'm focused right now. And you only have so much time and attention to bring to everything that you have. And if I'm going to do something like that, I want to kind of like be in the right mind frame and the right phase of my career and have my companies at the right stage. I have aspirations to own lots of companies I have to start them to acquire them to have great people in my company start them where I fund them 
and to build a portfolio of companies across not only B2B marketing and sales, which is where I'm starting, but I have aspirations in the direct-to-consumer world. I have aspirations in the multifamily real estate world. And so there's an evolution, but what I've found is that the sequencing of your evolution, how you think through the sequencing becomes really important because you can't do everything at once. It doesn't help right now that you're we're in a like a sort of a macroeconomic slowdown. I'm not going to call it a recession, but a slowdown right now and mainly impacting a lot of the companies that are our target customers. So we've been able to expand and move out into we work with companies that sell B2C now. We work with companies that are financial services. We're working with companies that do manufacturing. So moving out of just this tech space has been a good outcome for it. But when there is economic pressure, you what happens is you need to make decisions, especially on what are the things that we're not going to do right now? Where are the investments that we're not going to make? What are the initiatives that we're not going to do? How are we going to be able to focus our energy on the things that are most important during this thing to be able to come out stronger? And then all of the other things that you can have, you can go and develop once you sort of like move out of it, you start building momentum, the economy starts to rebound, there's lower interest rates, more funding. There's a lot of upside there. But the sequencing of how you do it and how many things you do at once, especially during this type of time, I think is a really important consideration. Yeah, no, I agree. I've now at 24. I have a much better look than I did at 19 or 20. And I can't imagine like 30, just like six more years of this. And then that perspective, I feel like a lot, I don't know how you feel about this, but like in terms of perspective, you can't really read books and just get a better perspective. Like you just, I feel like maybe, I don't know, maybe it's different for you, but I feel like that kind of comes in time, that sequencing, because it's so hard to take a macro view of your own life. That's like kind of impossible. Totally. Objectively. Yeah, objectively. And there's a theory that 10% of learning happens from reading about it. 20% happens from watching great experts do it. And 70% comes from actually doing it yourself. And like the learnings about sequencing and the cash flow thing that I mentioned earlier at my first company, the only way that you get those learnings are by making mistakes while you're doing it yourself. Yep. Nobody can tell you about those things until you actually see it. No one can tell you what it feels like for the bottom to fall off of your revenue when all the all your target customers are funding is getting cut and they're cutting expenses and things like that. No one can tell you what that feels like or what to do when that happens. You have to actually go through it and learn. And so there are if you put yourself in the right position, you find massive progression in your professional life to a point where you look back, I'm 33 right now, and you look around and you see other 33 year olds and you say, they didn't do all the shit that I just did for the past 15 years. They didn't build a company at 22. They didn't make those mistakes. They didn't try a second company. They didn't work 80 hours a week during these two times at venture funded companies. They didn't post on LinkedIn two years in a row to be able to create a profile to build their company. They didn't do a lot of those things. And so it's not a zero sum game, right? You're not competing with people, but in a way, comparing yourself, I think about it as being an athlete, right? Like you're comparing yourself against other people that are playing the game at their stage. So actually doing it and taking action is the major way to learn. I agree with you that just reading about it isn't going to get you there. And a lot of people and me at the beginning of my career got stuck in the idea of just reading about it and consuming and not doing and when you can make the switch and start to actually do that, because that's where you start to get the acceleration. The, the real acceleration in my career happened when I was 26, 27. 
And that was just about actually taking action, actually having the right perspective, actually being, I only made $80,000 a year during that time, but I had a ton to be grateful for, being grateful, being grateful that the CEO wanted to have a conversation with me, being grateful that I got invited in to present at a board meeting, even though my proposal got denied. There's like a huge amount of those mental things where you, how you approach your work, how you approach your life. And it's an ongoing game, right? I'm not perfect at it. But once you can start to grasp the concepts and then start to integrate them in your life, you really see the benefits. And those were not things that I had the first three, five years of my career. And it was more in the first three, five years of my career was me waiting for someone to tell me what to do, waiting for the promotion that I thought that I deserved or was entitled to. And when you flip it and say, I'm not entitled to anything, I need to go out in there and show it. I need to go out there and do it. And if this CEO doesn't think that I deserve the promotion after I just put in all this work and I think I'm worth it, then I don't have to work here anymore. I can go get a different job. I can go start my own company. To me, like I've always been an entrepreneur, but I early in my career, I didn't put myself in the position to be an entrepreneur. I think I struggle with the self-identification of entrepreneur. It feels like the income goal, right? Where it's like, I want to make a hundred thousand. If you make a hundred thousand, it's, that's always going to move, right? Your always, your income goal is always going to move. Mm -hmm. The like self-identification as an entrepreneur is kind of agree with what I heard on a podcast the other day, which is like, it just, you're successful when you say you are. Yeah. There is no definition, right? So there's probably no right answer. No, but, but I think that there are some people that are born with it. Everyone on my dad's side of the family, my uncle, my dad, my grandfather, all entrepreneurs. There's something in there, whether it's an upbringing or genetics or something that we don't understand yet. But the way that when I reflect, I didn't really feel like this at the time, but when I reflect and I look back and I said, I've always been an entrepreneur, it was for two core reasons. One, I started that company when I was 22 and the goal wasn't to make a million bucks. The goal was to try and figure out business, try and learn a lot of stuff and eventually create a path to more freedom for myself. The second thing, and it might be a little, I don't know, some people might resonate with this, some people might find it a little controversial. I just never agreed with the strategy that the leaders that I worked for put in place. And I always saw things in a different way because of the way that I look at things. And so those were two core reasons that I sort of to recognize. And when that company in 2019 said, hey, we'd like to ask you to resign, it's because I didn't belong in that company anymore. I belong starting my own company and I didn't even recognize it for myself. And then when you think about the terminology that you use, self-employed, success, what's a successful entrepreneur, what's an entrepreneur, it's all determined by your own thinking. It's all determined by you. Like just because you haven't sold a business yet doesn't mean you're an on, not an entrepreneur. Just because you only have it as a side hustle right now and you have to have a full-time job to support your family or your income or your bills, your student loans doesn't mean that you're not an entrepreneur. It just may, means that you're at the beginning stages of the journey. And so to me, that feels a lot, there's a lot of mental in there, understanding that maybe you're worthy of it, you deserve it. You're like, you don't have to have these incredible accomplishments and these accolades and these things to know that you are an entrepreneur. So I haven't sold a company yet. And I don't think that you need to, own or build multiple companies in order to be considered an entrepreneur either. I think an entrepreneur is someone that sees opportunities in the market and is willing to take 
personal and financial risks that are at a higher tolerance than the average person in order to pursue those potential opportunities or passions. And there's an element too that you can't be an entrepreneur and not make any revenue and not make any money. So there is a money element into it, but I don't think that there's some income threshold that determines whether you're an entrepreneur or not. I think that that's all self-determined by what you want. My income goals have changed over time. As I've gotten into the business at the beginning, it was like, hey, I'm gonna build a billion dollar company from scratch with no funding. That's what I would write down in the morning, every morning when I woke up. And as we've gone on in business, my goals have changed. I don't need that. And so like I've, a lot of people have their income goals growing or their aspirations growing. Mine are actually going the opposite way um, just because I've spent four full years of my life pouring my heart and soul into this company. I'm 33 years old. There's a lot of other things that I want to do. Maybe I end up making that much money. Maybe I don't. But what I've realized is that like the billion dollar target was for my ego, not because of anything else. As you keep going, you start to understand yourself more like almost anybody can live an incredible, perfect life with somewhere between 10 on the high end, one on the low end, million dollars in the bank. You live off the stock portfolio gains. You do somewhere between 70 and 700 a year passive. And anything above that, you get a bunch of luxuries, but you also get a bunch of headaches. So I don't know. I haven't shared that before live and I wanted to because it's something that has impacted my decision making and how I live my life a lot. And I think that there's some younger entrepreneurs that may go through a similar thing. And don't get me wrong, next year, I might turn around and get hungry again. So it's it's being able to recognize what you need at that time and then being able to adapt your lifestyle, your business goals, what you're focused on to accommodate what you feel like you need at that time. How much do you work now? So there was a period of time, the first probably two and a half years of this company, where I worked seven days a week for 10 to 12 hours a day. And the time I remember the time that I would take off was Sunday from like 10am to 2pm. And I would just go down to the beach and hang out. Everything outside of that was going to the gym, sleep, eating. And I don't recommend I'm not out here saying that's what you should do as you're an entrepreneur. I'm just telling you what I did. I'm happy that I did it. I deprioritized other things in my life. I didn't go on a date for more than two years. When I started my company, I got focused on my business and my health and things like that. And now over time, it's getting a little bit more balanced, more balancing it out. I probably like I try to limit the amount of meetings that I have. So at the beginning, it's like meetings all the time. I try and limit the amount of meetings I have to six hours max for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So I'm not in more than 18 hours of meetings in a week. I probably work from 7.30 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. So it's still a long day, but I try and take as many weekends as I can. I'm sometimes on like an every other weekend cadence where one weekend I'll kind of like get in there and work. The other weekend I might try and like travel or get away or relax or something like that. So there's still a large amount of work ethic and work ethic matters a lot, especially if you're the entrepreneur and you have whether it's your family and you don't have any employees or it's your family and your employees and your business partners and all those other people depending on you delivering. And sure, there's like the four hour work week or these other things where you can make passive income and stuff like that. And I'm not knocking those things, but 
in my experience, like if you want to do something great, you got to work for it. You got to work harder than you probably believe that you can. And so in that that work ethic switch turned for me at like 26, 27, too. And that's when I started having more confidence in myself. I started seeing results improve in terms of my income, in terms of my fitness, in terms of my health, in terms of my social online and offline profile and how people know me in the amount of people that I've been able to help in the relationships that I have with people that are close to me and my family. I've seen a lot of improvements on that. And a lot of it, if I think about it, comes down to making sure that you're in a good spot for yourself first. It's hard to be a great husband or wife or a great boyfriend or girlfriend or a great brother or sister if you're not happy with your own life. If you're not happy with where your results are in your business or your income or your mindset. And so I sort of just took that approach. I mentioned I didn't go on a single date from, I don't know, early 2019 to the middle of 2021 and instead focused on making sure that I was proud of myself, that I was doing things that I was passionate about, that I understood myself more, that I had a good routine. And so... That's, again, not something that I recommend everyone, but sharing what's worked for me. Yeah, it's kind of crazy to when I even if I look at it, right, like today, this morning, right, I have somebody who's connected with me. He paid 150 bucks for an hour to talk to me, just did the exchange in the direct message, then he booked the call. I used to not even make that in a day. And I'm going to get that in an hour. And like, hey, there's levels to this shit, right? But it's crazy the things that are normal now that were so great, like your 22 year old self to your 33 year old self is probably like, that conversation would be crazy, man, you know, it would be crazy. And the key thing for me, even like recently is not having a good grasp or perspective on what's possible or what you're capable of. And that mindset can hold you back a lot. Last year, I made I did five speeches around the world for, and so if you exclude the travel and everything, I spent five hours speaking and I made more money than I made until I was 29 years old in five hours and then I would make in a year. So when I was 20 years old, I was never thinking about speaking, let alone getting paid to speak. It would be a really interesting conversation of me speaking to my 22 year old self because like there's so much that you don't know. There's so much that you haven't experienced yet. There's a big element of understanding yourself better. It's like a huge one. I feel like at the early stages of my career, I kind of did what society would expect you to do, kind of like going by the playbook that you've been sort of trained to do, to believe what you've been conditioned to believe, to, yeah. And then at some point, I think this happens to a lot of people sometime in your late 20s often that you realize, hey, like, I don't believe in that thing. I don't want to do that thing that everybody else does. I'm different. And I understand that I'm different. And I'm going to, even though it's going to be scary or people might judge me, I'm going to lean into those things. Like me posting on LinkedIn, it's not like I went in there and I'm like, I'm going to destroy LinkedIn and build a huge (laughs) profile and build a huge company. I was just sharing some thoughts because 
I had $3,000 in the bank and needed to figure out what I was going to do to make some income. And so that was where, and it's, it's crazy when that I tell this to a lot of entrepreneurs too, that try and do they're like starting a company, the company's doing like, I don't know, $10,000 a year or $20,000 a year. And then they got their cushy job over here that they're making 200 grand on, but they want their business to grow. What I say to them is like, at least for me, not for everybody, but at least for me, is that my business would have never grown if I didn't have my back against the wall. Pressure. You had pressure. If I didn't have a safety net, I didn't have anything. Yeah. So you had, and then you have to innovate. You need to move quickly. You need to be flexible. You need to be motivated. You got to work hard. And I have that conversation with a lot of people. And I'm telling them when, if you get to a point where you have an, either enough savings or enough income from your current business to keep up with a lifestyle that you might want to take back a little bit if you really want to build your company and you have some level of runway you can always go back and get another job this is you tell me this is what you want to do your business is making a hundred thousand dollars a year at 60 percent gross margin why don't you just leave your 100k a year marketing job and go and do this and it's out of and I had the same exact thing. It's out of fear. It's out of not no like it's different and not knowing whether or not you're going to be successful. So you avoid it. I probably could have started a company sooner and I avoided it because I had the same exact feeling. And then at some point you just get pushed in. You can either put yourself in there or when you're not ready or you, you can get pushed into it when you feel like you're not ready. But either way, you're going to feel like you're not ready. And then three months, six months, however long it takes for you specifically, if you're able to get it done, you'll realize at some point, hey, oh, I was ready before I jumped, but I was scared. And you know this, man, especially in the 20s, right? And the reason I bring up these other influencers too, man, is because this is a lot of what people are seeing and thinking that it's the way. There's 33-year-old dudes that are at your level who are running Instagram ads to kids who are, hey, make $100 a day on your phone, shit, mm -hmm. right? This kind of get the get rich quicks type of stuff. A lot of that, and also just the, the 20s in general, is all trying to prove, and I've interviewed enough people now, and enough rappers, <laughs> you wanna talk confidence? Fuck, rappers, dude. They don't even need a song. They have more confidence than both of us combined. They're trying to prove something to other people but they have because they haven't proved it to themselves yet. Mm -hmm. So when you prove it to yourself, then you don't have to worry about that other shit. You don't come on this podcast and start talking about I'm making this much money and I'm doing this and this is all my successes. Like you don't have to do that, Chris, because you don't have to prove anything to me or the audience or anything. You're just you're good. You know where you're at. But I think that's where a lot of it comes from. Yeah, I mean, like where I'll take this and where I'll go with it is on the confidence side because. I didn't have a ton of confidence when I was 23 years old. And to me, building confidence is deciding what you're going to do, the actions you're going to take, the habits you're going to have, the people you're going to be around with, the decisions that you're going to make. And then when push comes to shove, actually doing them. I'm going to get up and go to the gym seven days a week. And if I wake up one day and I'm tired or I couldn't sleep well, or someone convinced me to go out and have three drinks and I feel like shit, I'm still going to go the next day. I'm going to post on LinkedIn every day, even if I have to sit there for two hours. This is what I said to myself when I started my business. If I have to sit there for two hours, which I did a lot of times. I had writer's block. And I sat there for two hours, but I got the post out that day for seven days a week. I'm going to do my live event on Tuesdays 
at 7.30 p.m. from the week COVID happened until the middle of 2022, more than 100 episodes. And I only missed one week, and that was because I had food poisoning. And there's a lot of times where I didn't feel like it, where I was tired, where I just had 10 hours of meetings, and now I have to do a live event with 150 people on there. And just being committed and doing what you say you're going to do, create, and it's just the actions. It's not the result. It's the action. Taking the actions that you say you're going to take get, builds the confidence that you can trust yourself. And then as you start to trust yourself, it's crazy how you start to attract in the actual results. So that's something that gets built over time. Confidence is a can be fleeting sometimes, can be ephemeral, where sometimes you're ultra confident and sometimes uh, it starts to fade, whether it's based on the results that you're getting in the business, based on something happening in your personal life, maybe something that who knows why. So it's not like you just get confident and stay confident. Um, it's actually something that you have to work at consistently. And I think that's the number one thing that has driven the success of my company and my pers- myself over the past four years, starting my company having relatively low self-confidence and then to where I am now. That's something that you got to have it because I'm going to post on TikTok and get 15 people saying, hey, you're a piece of shit. I don't agree with you. Going to post on LinkedIn, have people disagree with me. Going to have people send me Slack DMs in a community and question you know, the decisions I'm making in my business. So it's just going to come from... If you're going to go out and do it, and you're going to actually do it right, people are going to try and pull you down. People are going to try and sue you. People are going to try and insult you. People are going to try and backstab you. And it's weird that over time, what I've realized is that when that stuff starts happening, that means that you're doing something right. That means that people see something that makes them feel something, insecurity, jealousy, stuff like that, that says, hey, this person's up to something. I'm going to try and tear them down. When you start getting people that are doing those things, like I've gotten negative comments for a while, so I'm pretty comfortable with them. But when you start to get those things, it actually means something I found that it's typically something good. You have to you have to look at them. You have to look at who's leaving the comment. You could be saying something that doesn't make sense, and you probably should listen to the comment and take some feedback. But in a lot of cases, when there's haters involved, it's a good thing. I'm with you, man. Yeah, I think, especially on Instagram, because that's where I spent most of my time before LinkedIn. Comments on Instagram, I almost every time converted them to a follower which I thought was really interesting because I would have this real conversation with them and I would go, oh, they would be, this is the worst take I've ever heard. And then I'd say, why? Right? And now they're not ready for that because that's not what they signed up for. Mm -hmm. They signed up for leave this comment and then I did. I had a guy the other day, I put him on my story. I'm like, follow this guy, dude. Every comment matters. Yeah, 100%. At that range, there's a point now where like there's just... I got my business, I'm in meetings, I'm doing podcasts, like I don't get to every comment anymore. But for a long period of time, it was every comment. And so yeah, when to build, it's a lot, there's a lot of that type of work that whether you're a marketer or an entrepreneur or a CEO of a company or things like that, people don't respect the impact of social enough, respect the impact of creating content for modern distribution platforms podcast, YouTube, social, LinkedIn, Instagram, stuff like that, Reddit even, and places like that. 
they don't appreciate how much impact it has on the business and how much manual fit work with your thumbs that it takes and you not giving it to some intern, not outsourcing it to a fucking agency, you doing it yourself, having real conversations with people, posting content yourself, creating your own thoughts, writing out your own stuff. There's a such a tremendous and there's like success stories all over the place. You see it everywhere. People actually doing those things and being successful. And if you look behind the curtain, there's almost nobody that's not not actually doing it for themselves. It's really hard. Like I tell this to a lot of people, there is no way that my podcast would be successful. There's no way that my LinkedIn channel would be successful if somebody else tried to write for me. It's what's in my brain. Wait, Chris, wait, wait, wait. You're telling me that chat GPT, dude, is not going to blow up your business? If you don't think for yourself, then chat GPT can regurgitate someone else's thoughts for you. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Well, that's what builds all great companies, Chris, is regurgitated thoughts. <laughs> and I love that your humility too, Chris, in terms of like, I love seeing, this is not a dig on you at all. I love seeing you try TikTok because I didn't try hard enough even. Like I, I stopped at like 20 videos and they all got a thousand views and I was kind of it for me. But I love seeing you grow on there and I don't use it. Like I have it on desktop, but I really try not to use it because I got, I'm bad with social media. I check it too much. Yeah. But I just love that, man. Like you have principles, right? Like, hey, like we're podcast principles. Like I'm all about principles, but I can tell that that's what you just... And that kind of is seems to be the basis of not even just your business, but it's your life too. Because how, like, I don't fully agree with the how you do anything is how you do everything mm -hmm. thing. But it definitely has something. There's something there. Um, but it's just cool to be like, okay, Chris Walker is this guy. He definitely, he like, see, uh, he knows how to do everything, man, marketing all the way. Your TikTok account's still at zero when you make an account. But if you have the principles, you can kind of do what you can accomplish the goals. It's just a lot of times they never, they get the, they start new again and again and again. Anyway, it's these kind of principles, man, that I think are important. Yeah. I mean, like if you want to grow a business, you need to figure out how to market and sell first. And if it's like direct to consumer, self-service, stuff like that, then there's marketing and selling, but it's, there's no salesperson. Then if you're selling higher ticket items or, construction b2b or concrete b2c or anything like that like and you have a salesperson there you still have to figure out how to do marketing and sales and if you're the entrepreneur and you're trying to you're probably doing all of it you typically either lose because of not being able to sell stuff or not having a good product those are the two core things and then if you look at a lot of whether it's startups small businesses local type of stuff a lot of it is i don't know how to go out and get to deploy effort and or money and get more customers. And also, it's crazy because it's now it's not free. I do agree with the sentiment. People say social is free. It's not free. A lot of people say SEO is free. Okay. Social is not free. Nothing's free. I mean, this isn't free right now, us doing this. There's no money exchange, but it's also not free. Mm -hmm. There's nothing. It depends how far deep you go, right? But I agree, but it is free in the sense that it's not pay to play free. The barrier to entry is nothing. The barrier to entry is nothing except for time. Yeah, well, exactly. And that's the other side. Yep. For you, maybe not a dig, but for other people too, like for me at the beginning, my time was worth basically zero. 
I had one customer paying me a hundred bucks an hour. My time's worth pretty much nothing. So I might as well post on LinkedIn at this point now doing a podcast, spending 30 minutes writing a LinkedIn post, recording the video, like that stuff isn't free for me anymore. But it's even more valuable though. It has risen. Totally. The value of one of your posts, right? Like, so say you made, and I want to tie this into reality as well, not just our world of LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. If you have somebody who can reach, I don't know, tens of thousands, uh, you probably maybe hundreds of thousands of people a week that you could reach on your, with LinkedIn included, maybe. With just LinkedIn, it's about a million a week. Yeah, a million a week. So that monetized, how many companies want to be on the bottom last three sentences of your post, right? And Justin Welsh has done this with his newsletter, which I think is a genius, like kind of perfect way to do it where it's not as intrusive, where you have a couple of sponsor spots there. But like, yeah, your 30 minutes is on top of the reach like the content and then the reach itself is worth tens of thousands of dollars or whatever to somebody. Totally. But but yeah, and that's why, perfect example too, that's why billionaires pay to be on podcasts because podcasters have something that the billionaires don't have. There's a lot of billion. You pass them every day in the street. If you're walking in New York, if you're walking in Austin, if you're walking in LA, there's billionaires. You're pat, they're, they're just around, right? They don't have the pull, right? So everybody has leverage. And so it's just what leverage do you have? But like you said, you start at zero, but you build a little social capital Mm -hmm. and now you have a little leverage, you know, over time for sure. Over time, hundred percent. So what do you eat for breakfast? (laughs) I thought this was going to be the first question. And I'm no, I'm going, I tried to keep them through the whole interview, Chris, because I'm going to give them that in the intro and then I'm going to make them wait an hour. I've unlocked this crazy thing probably about six months ago, which is having there's someone local that will actually prepare all the meals for me, breakfast, lunch and dinner on then deliver them on Sunday. And then I have everything ready. It saves me a ton of time. And it's actually cheaper than what I used to do, which is like go to the grocery store, order Eats a couple of times, order, go out to dinner a couple of times and they're way healthier, too. And so Chef Mandy gets to decide what I have for breakfast every morning. Sometimes it's like enchiladas or overnight oats but if she mixes it up she keeps me on my toes and then orange juice is a staple but i typically don't eat breakfast until about 10 a.m okay, i'll get too. up at 5 45 go to the gym do some writing post on linkedin then i'll kind of eat later on what time do you go to bed then like nine um it'll range so like on at the earliest like 8 30 at the latest probably like 11 11 30 so somewhere in that range depending on what i have going the next day Sometimes I have heavy days where I know I need to get nine hours of sleep and the next day is heavy. So I'll do that. Other days, like, you know, I got some stuff. I can change up my schedule. Or I don't need to be like on my game. Last night I got eight. So I got a, a big one today. But my uh, figuring out my sleep, my nutrition and my workout routine have been three things that are like staples in my professional and personal life now. Do you have a whoop or a ring or something? Yeah, I've used the whoop. I had it for probably like two years. It was the thing that really pushed me to figure out my sleep um, because I realized that like I would get into bed and not fall asleep for like a couple hours. I stopped drinking coffee for that reason. Completely? No more coffee at all? I don't drink coffee at all. Like maybe as a luxury, like once a month, but I don't drink it uh, daily. Were you like daily coffee drinker? For yeah, a ton, a ton. Oh, so you did. How was it just you? Did you just cold turkey it or? Yeah, pretty much. Damn, you got some discipline. I mean, that's discipline. I couldn't fall asleep. And so I'm like building a, co- I'm building a company and I'm sleeping on my workouts at the same time every morning, but I'm not falling asleep. So I'm getting five hours of sleep every night and not because I'm not trying. I'm just wasting two, three hours a night sitting in my bed, not falling asleep. 
And then I did a, had a lot of different things. Melatonin, I tried melatonin, weighted blankets, changing the temperature of the room, like tea to help you fall asleep, stop drinking coffee. I tried a bunch of stuff and eventually I've sort of like figured it out where I have a real pretty consistent sleep and wake schedule, which uh, there's been a lot of studies out here that like actually going to bed and waking up at a consistent hour, whether it's 9 a.m. or 6 a.m. or 2 p.m. doesn't really matter as long as it's consistent for you. So yeah, it's like one now, like if I don't drink coffee past like noon or one, I'll be okay. But after, if I drink it after that, dude, it's no, it's over. I'm not going to sleep. Yeah, I'm not going to sleep. I haven't. Let's leave it for the next one, man. I do have a few things. Your Chris's TV, what he watches on, if he watches shows, movies, guilty pleasures, things like that, that's what we're doing next time. Dude, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just give you the the short take. Like pretty much all that I watched for television is professional, like NFL football. So other than that, no shows, no news. You like baseball too? I played baseball, but dude, I just find it so boring. So I don't watch baseball. I don't even. I'm with you. Yeah. But yeah, man, Chris, I uh, can't thank you enough, dude. Really. This was so much fun. This is one of my favorite podcasts for real, man. This is awesome. That, dude, that means a lot. Thanks for having me. And yeah, I'd love to do it again sometime. You asked a lot of great awesome. questions. Next one I want to do in person. I don't care, you know, whatever, where it is, but maybe we'll try to figure that out sometime. Cool. Yeah. Come through to Austin. We'll make it happen. Sweet. Chris, thank you, man. I really appreciate the time. Thanks. Thanks, bro. See you soon. Good luck with everything. Later. You got it, brother.